0: Have you ever thought about that? Well, we often think, don't we, that someone's final words are particularly important. You know, they've lived a big, long life and they've done all sorts of things and seen this happen and and so it's almost like their final words are going to be a bit of a summary and a bit of a, this is what's really important. I've been here for 80 years or whatever and this is what I'm going to share. Apparently, Winston Churchill's final words were, "I'm more real. all." <laughs> Apparently, wasn't the Oscar Wilde said he must have been in bed a long time on his deathbed. He said, "My wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us has to go." <laughs> and obviously, it was him. A British comedian said, "I told you I was ill." A yeah, yeah. little bit more sobering, Queen Elizabeth the first, not the second, the first, who would have been a very wealthy lady. She said this: "All my possessions, for a moment of time, just realising on a deathbed that she could own the world." But you know. She couldn't buy just another moment of time, no matter what she had. So today we're going to think about some of the last words of Jesus, not necessarily the absolute last, depends which gospel you read, but some of his last words are recorded in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Remember, this is the time just after the resurrection. Some people had seen Jesus, some people had heard about it, so there was, there was a bit of doubt lying about it. And Jesus came to them and he said, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.
1: "'Therefore, go and
0: make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son "'and of the Holy Spirit.'" And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus calls his disciples to meet him on a mountain. And mountains, you know, are very significant in the Bible. They're a place sometimes of covenant. When God made promises to Abraham, he said to him, Look at the land in all directions. So they must have been standing on a On a mountain. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive God's promises and the Ten Commandments. Mountains are places where you can go and you gain a different perspective, it's a wider viewpoint. It was on a mountain that Jesus appeared to Peter and James and John, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone, his clothing became white. Remember, Jesus on earth was fully human, but he was also fully God. And although he restricted himself to a human body, he could could only be in one place at a time when Jesus was on earth. He also said that he didn't know everything. Remember, last time I was here, I spoke about no one knows the day or the hour when Jesus will return. And Jesus said only the Father knows that, not even the Son. But you know, even though Jesus... Fully human, he was also fully divine, and on that mountain, he gave them a glimpse of the glory of God. Mountains themselves give us a sense of strength and power. Can you imagine if the whole earth was flat? And I don't mean flat earth, on the world around and all that, but you know, that the landscape was all flat, no relief, no perspective. A few years ago we went on holiday to the Fens over in Cambridgeshire, Norfolk, no, around there somewhere, and we went for a walk one day along this dike alongside of a river, and it was just flat as far as the eye could see, and in all directions, and is anyone from around there? Um, no, I'm not going to offend fed anybody there myself. Because uh, I just found it a bit, you didn't know where you were on the walk, you know, even how far you would come. There was nothing, there was no landmarks. And, and God created these huge, majestic structures to give us a different perspective. Interestingly, at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, the devil. In Matthew 4, 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. You see, even the devil, even the enemy used that mountain perspective, and I'll come back to that a bit later. So right at the end of his time on earth, Jesus invited his disciples up onto a mountain, a significant place, in order to give them some very important instructions the first thing he says to them is all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying all the dominion, all the ownership all the power has been given to him. And you know that's a change of status for the earthly Jesus. We'll be celebrating in a few weeks obviously Jesus coming to earth as a baby, a humble birth. He grew up in a small town In the Middle East, he travelled around, but relatively speaking, only in a very small area. He had a reputation for being a wise teacher. He performed miracles, and he gave people the idea that he's someone special. He'd been to the cross and died in tragic circumstances, and before the resurrection, it looked as though it had just been a flash in the pan, a nice guy who'd done and said some good things. But here we are, post-resurrection. He's now risen from the dead. This is the Messiah. And he's declaring something new. All authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. In heaven. Heaven, the place where God lives. A different realm. You know, if you get in a spaceship and go as far as you can, you're not going to come to a point of finding the pearly gates or whatever looks like. You know, this is a heavens, the heaven, a different place. But also the heavenly places, the planets, the universe. But he says also that on earth, that's where we live, just in case you Rachel. Everywhere, Jesus has power, authority and dominion. Let's go back to the temptation again. The devil took him to this high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. And he says, all this I will give you, says Satan, if you will bow down and worship me. So Satan's saying to Jesus, you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. you see the difference? You see, Satan had only got the authority to give him the kingdoms of the earth. I'll explain this in a minute. Now Jesus is saying, I have authority everything. You see, at the beginning of time, Jesus had all authority. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and that's Jesus. It said the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. It said all things were made through him, for him. And of course, God made man in his own image. And in Genesis 1.26, we read, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the (coughs) planet. So what has happened here? God has created man in his image and he's given some of his authority to man to look after the planet. We've just prayed about that. But you see mankind didn't do well and in obeying the temptation of Satan, he handed over some of that authority that had been given to the enemy. The devil isn't equal to God. Don't ever think well, we have Satan and we have God and they're equal and opposite and they're two forces and they're fighting. This is not the same. The devil is not as powerful as God. The devil only had the authority to offer Jesus the kingdoms of the earth. Whereas Jesus has everything, everywhere. But you see, after Jesus' death and resurrection, this power of sin is broken. The earth is redeemed. And Jesus can now say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have it all. This does beg the question though, doesn't it? If Jesus has full authority, what is going on in our world? We've prayed, haven't we, we've prayed about the planet, we've prayed about the things going on in in uh, the Middle East, you know, we could have prayed, we could have been here all morning, praying for the problems of the world, and sometimes we don't even know where to start. How is that world then, if Jesus is fully in charge? Well, you see, we live in a day of grace. We have the opportunity, as I'm sure most people here, if not everyone, has, has taken the opportunity. Turn to Christ as Saviour and Lord. But you know, God doesn't force us to do that. He doesn't force us. He's waiting, He hopes, He wants everyone to come to repentance. But because He doesn't force us, He has to allow the possibility of the opposite. You see, if God said, well, that's not going to happen, then He's forcing us to worship Him. He has to allow the opportunity of the opposite. And of course, in allowing that opportunity, we get the mess that we see in the world. It won't last forever. As we spoke last time, there will be a time when Jesus will return and all things will be very good. In the light then of all these things, in the light of the fact that Jesus has all authority, he then says the word therefore. And therefore means, because of everything that we've just talked about, because of everything we've just talked about, that I've got authority in heaven and on earth, because of all of that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is Jesus' strategy for spreading the good news of the Gospel of the Kingdom. This is his strategy. He looks at his 11 disciples we have lost Judas by this time. And he says, you, disciples, go and make war. Reproduce yourselves. Not just in here, not just to the Jewish people, but to all the nations of the world. So suddenly, one Jesus and 11 disciples becomes like 11 Jesuses and potentially 121 disciples if you know your 11 times table. And if those are 121 disciples all reach 11, how would you 11 times table, not that good, really right? 1331, then 14,641, then 161,051, and then 1. 1.7 million see how quickly the whole thing grows this is Jesus's strategy for growing the kingdom of the of God across the nations disciples making disciples so what is a disciple a disciple is a learner and a follower of Jesus we hopefully all are disciples we are learners who want to learn more about him none of us know everything you know I have a degree in theology. But that doesn't mean I know everything by long stretch. And that doesn't matter so much. But what is a disciple? What do we do? First thing he says is baptise them. Baptism is a public demonstration of someone's repentance and faith in Christ. The way they've died to the old life. Paul says in Romans 6 4, we are buried with Christ in baptism. So as we go under the water, it's like being buried. And of course we very quickly come out of the water. And we're raised to life in the new. And when you become baptised, it's that public commitment to living out a new life with God's help. So how do we know what that new life should look like? And this is the second part of the Great Commission. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what did Jesus command? You can read about it in Matthew 22. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the religious, silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, that's all the religious leaders. One of them, an expert in the law, looks like an expert, don't you? Can you can imagine him, can't you? Sort of quite tested him with a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat this guy, I am. He says, This teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now remember, the law came from the Ten Commandments. So we started at 10. But then over time, people asked questions. Well, does it mean this? And so it grew and grew and grew and grew, not quite large. So which is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus takes the massive thing that is the law, and he simplifies it down. God first, love God first with everything that you are, everything that you have. And then do you love your neighbour, which is anybody else, as much as you love yourself. Treat them the way you would want to be treated yourself. Simple, isn't it? Also very important, you see, Jesus is saying to his disciples... Make disciples. So teaching disciples to become disciple makers is also part of the deal. When we become Christians, it doesn't just stop there. The Apostle Paul writes this to his apprentice Timothy, at this apprentice, Bible, to a young guy called Timothy, and he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Can you see there's like four generations there? You've got Paul, you've got Timothy, who he calls my son. He's not his literal son, but it's his an apprentice. And he says, the things you've heard me say, entrust those to reliable people. So you've got Paul, you've got Timothy, you've got the reliable people. And then he said, they will be qualified to teach others. Can you see this passing on thing that's going on? leave a legacy for future generations. You know, if those 11 disciples had just sat there and gone, wow, weren't those three years of Jesus amazing? And wasn't it incredible when he rose from the dead? End of. If that happens, we would be here today, would we? Because if you go back to that, you know, 11, 121, 1,000, etc., You know, we become part of that over time. It's really important that the idea of being the disciple, yes, we're a follower, but part of that is helping other people as well. Sounds a bit daunting, doesn't it? Maybe. But the final thing that Jesus says is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, you might say, well, I have enough trouble being a good disciple myself without trying to help anybody else. And actually, you know, I mess up, I slip up, I don't have a degree in theology, I don't know the answers to all the questions. But Jesus didn't stop, he said, I'm with you. And when Jesus left earth, he did so, so that the Holy Spirit could come. And it's the Holy Spirit inside each one of us that empowers us to do What God has appointed each one of us to do. You know, when you become a Christian, you gain eternal life. And it's easy to think, great, when I go when I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus. Hallelujah. But if yeah, good, yeah, when I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus, hallelujah. But if it was all just that, why are we still here? We're here because God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us on earth. He has a job for us to do. The commission, the great commission that he gave his disciples to go and make more is not handing over the baton and letting us get on with it. The commission is an invitation to join in the mission of God. I don't know if you've seen the relay race at the end of the Olympics or when It's usually the last race, isn't it? They do the relay. The really tense moment is the changeover. It's fine while they're running around, but as soon as the baton goes forward, you're like, oh, it could just go so horribly wrong right here. And what happens is runner number one comes and they hold the bat out, and runner number two is doing this kind of thing, and they start to run. And <laughs> as soon as they realize, oh, yep, yeah, they've got it, runner number one, let's go, and hopefully they're off without dropping in. That's not the picture, thankfully, that Jesus presents us with. He hasn't handed us a baton that he's then going, right off you go, hope you get to the end, don't drop it. He's with us. It's almost like Jesus comes with the baton, we grasp hold of it, and then we run together to the finished line. That's the picture of the Great Commission. In, there's a book called Finish the Mission, and a guy called Louis Giglio, who is a famous American pastor, you may have... Um, heard of him or seen some of his videos, he calls the Great Commission the commission that cannot fail, and I'm going to read an extract from his book. He said the Great Commission shouldn't land on us as if Jesus is merely saying, I want you to go do this. The commission is almost an almost unthinkable invitation. It truly is a great commission. We have marching orders. It's clear that we Christians are to be, what we Christians are to be about on this planet." There's no grey area, no haze, no mist, no need to debate or think or pray or fast for God to make himself clear on this. It's already crystal clear what the church is to be about, taking the gospel of Jesus to every distinct grouping of people on planet earth at all costs and for the sake of his name. It's not as if God is throwing a manual into our lap saying, go do it. It's rather it's God who doesn't need to. Choosing to invite us into his glorious plan. God is on the move. He's going to do it. What does he promise in Psalm 46? After the memorable line, be still and know that I am God, which we all know, he promises, I will be exalted among the nations. This mission will not abort. Jesus promises in Matthew twenty-four, fourteen, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You or I can bail, but the mission is still going to go forward. It's not God throwing a blueprint into our laps and saying, go forward. It's God saying, this is what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing, but this is what I'm doing. It's spectacular, and you're invited to come along and be part of what I'm doing. He's inviting us, not pushing us out of the door and saying, go do that, He's saying, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going, this is what's on my heart, will you join me? So will we? Will we join him? Will we take up the challenge of the Great Commission to reach out to people with the Gospel, with the good news? See them become followers of Jesus, committing their lives to him, then helping them in the way of their new life in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I believe we all have a part to play in this, it's the mission of the church, and the church isn't just the leadership, the church is all of us, people. Of course as churches we do things like warm space and parent and toddler groups and food banks and homeless reach-outs, and these are important. There's no point in us giving the gospel to someone who is cold or hungry and homeless. For these activities are a means of sharing the love of Christ and building relationships so that we can share the greatest news of all, the Gospel. Important as our activities are to feed into the mission of the Church, they have to include the Gospel. They have to feed into the mission of the Church or we could be in danger of just becoming another social service. So what can we do? What can you do? What can I do? Let's ask another question. What has God uniquely gifted you to do? Could be a natural gifting,
1: could be a gift of the Holy
0: Spirit. It could be the story of your life, you know, the best people to reach out to people who are struggling with addiction and people who used to struggle with addiction, have had their lives transformed by Jesus and can share that story with others who are struggling. That's not to say you can't reach out to those who are addicted if you've never been one. But God can use your story, your testimony, to speak into the lives of others who are struggling in the same way that you did. Are you good with children? Maybe God wants you to do something with children. Do you have particular compassion or empathy with elderly people or those who are sick? Here's another question. Where has God placed you? When we think of mission, we often think about those that God has called to other parts of the world, and that's great, and it's really important. And we as a church support missionaries in North Macedonia. I'm sure that this least Castle Community Church also do other kinds of mission. And we support people who are away, and some of us feel called to do that sometimes, and we do. But you know, most of us have been placed here, In Wheelie Castle or in the surrounding area, where has God placed you? Had a little conversation with someone this week who said they like to go shopping in Wheelie Castle because they want to build up a relationship with the shopkeepers around the square, the Oval Square. Strange. That's great. That's saying, you know what, I'm living a normal life here, I have to go shopping that's what we all have to do. We all have to go shopping sometimes. But I'm going to take myself when I go shopping and I'm going to be thinking about the people that I meet and the people I interact with. And I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to, not only take my Bible into my arm and bash them over the head with it, but I'm going to try and start to build relationship with them. That is where God has placed us. Do you have neighbours? Do you have friends? Do you see mums at the school gates? Like I say, don't go out tomorrow with the biggest Bible you can find ready to threaten, bash. It will probably put them off. Someone recently said to me, We need to be aggressive with the gospel. And I'm like, mm, mm, Not sure I'd use the word aggressive. Mm. Jesus, was Jesus aggressive? No. I don't think Jesus was aggressive in the way that we might understand aggressive. He was aggressive sometimes kind with of the religious leaders. Depends how you define the term. So let's
1: not disagree on that one but
0: We need to be... Oh, I'm trying to think of a bit, Passionate. Passionate. We need to be passionate about the gospel. We need to remember we're on a mission. In the morning, God, you know, who do you want me to be today? Who can I share my testimony with today? What can I do... Where can I bring your love? Where can I serve today in your kingdom? Jesus treated people with the utmost care and respect. They weren't his projects and people shouldn't be our projects. I'll get friendly with that person because I want to give them the gospel. Don't care about them as a person. We have to have the whole package. Jesus cared about people. We have to care about people and as we do that, conversations will come and we can have the opportunity to share the gospel. Exciting, scary, maybe. Some people, you know, it's different, isn't it? I listened to a guy on the radio this week who was saying that he'd had a really difficult life of addiction and all sorts of things, and God had really brought him through and saved him and changed his life. And he said, "I love to be out on the streets telling people about Jesus. It's my passion. It's my I'm just i mean in my element." He said, and I thought. It terrifies me, to be honest. that, you know, I'm going and knocking a door, just standing on a street corner. Done it, but it, you know, it terrifies me. We're all different, and God has gifted us differently, given us different backgrounds and different opportunities. But you know, we all need to use all of our opportunities. And remember, He's with us. He's with us. The Holy Spirit inside us, like Jesus is with us. And he's on our side and he wants to help us. You could get in a conversation with someone and start to think, oh, don't really about <coughs> You can pray, it? Jesus give me the right word words to say. And sometimes simpler is better. So, will we join Jesus in his mission? Yes. Yes. Let's join him. I know we're already... We're doing it. We have to remember sometimes, don't we? We have to remind ourselves. That's what he said. One of the Son of Jesus' final words. Go away the Son of the All nations. Baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I commanded this Father, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus that sets men and women free. Time we sang, we were beggars, now we're royalty, we're a royal priesthood. We were prisoners, now we're running free. We're accepted, we're redeemed by his grace, God. And we long to share that message with those in our community, our neighbours, our friends, our families, those who are bound up in, in sin and addiction and difficulties and trouble and the, the pressures and the trials of life. So God, I pray right now that every single person here that you will remind us of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. That you will give us opportunities, give us God opportunities, God, even this week as we go about our daily business to speak to other people and share the gospel. God, God, we want to see our churches full to overflowing, God, in this area with people wanting to know who Jesus is, wanting to worship Jesus as Lord and Saviour. God, we pray for our building and in California. And God, in this building here, God, Reedy Castle Community Church, we thank you for them opening their doors to us, God. God, I pray you'll fill all of our churches with people who want to know and experience the love of Christ. So we pray, God, we commit ourselves again to this great commission to go and make disciples. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. we more sing one of song, and we the reflect right on some of this talks about leaving us to